Hey friends, welcome to another episode of How AI Built This, um, as always sponsored by the wonderful people at Cathcart Associates, the technology recruitment experts of the world. I'm very excited today to talk to someone that I've basically been asking to do this since we started it. Uh, finally managed to catch up and get a date in the diary. So yeah, today I'm speaking to Tom Liptrot, who is a data science consultant, probably one of the most talented data scientists in the country. Worked in a whole array of industries from kind of big pharma, NHS, um, startups. Helped build one of the most successful data teams in the entire country. Um, and has recently branched out to run his own consultancy um, as a standalone uh, data scientist. Um, so yeah, I'll let him go into that in more detail, but uh, please welcome Tom Liptrot. First of all, welcome to the podcast, Tom. Hi. Um, thanks for coming on. Obviously, you've listened to all of the podcasts so far, so you know the first question yes. I'm going to be uh, will be education, but it's actually not. I thought I'd mix it up today. I was on Orkney, okay. uh, of all places. Yeah, yeah. So people say that uh, I don't do any... Uh, research into these podcasts but from what i know you're uh is orcadian the right term yes yes nice. I'm an orcadian <laughs> nice uh so for anyone listening who's not from scotland and even if you are actually my accent is very edinburgh and not uh hugely scottish some people might say uh but right in the middle of the country orkney is a little bit further north of that i think you said in the talk you did at Mancamel actually tom that manchester is considered north uh, when we do those <laughs> events, but yeah. I, you think you said Liam is from Northerer, and you're even more Northerer. <laughs> yeah, the, the northest, yeah, something like that. Uh, so yeah, you grew up kind of way up in uh, at the top of Scotland. Yeah, yeah, really long, right, at, right at the top. But every, every from where we were, everywhere was south, <laughs> uh, apart apart from apart from Shetland. <laughs> How was that then, growing up kind of so far up north? Yeah, it was. It was good. I mean, I, I guess for me, it was just my my life. But it, it, you know, it's it's looking at it from now, from where I live, you know, south. <laughs> it's it's kind of a it's a long way from anywhere. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. a, it takes like a day to get to Inverness, <laughs> and then you're you know, that's 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 quite far far north. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a beautiful place. I was brought up on a on a sheep farm there, right on the west coast. Um, you know, huge, huge views out into the ocean and everything, but yeah, it's it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Do you think um, you're the only data scientist that comes from sheep farming heritage? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the, the complete <laughs> statistics on on that. <laughs> I'll do. I'll think, do some research. <laughs> I think it would be. I think there'd be a, a, a small data set. Uh, the reason I started with that though is because you ended up going to Edinburgh Uni, so it was always kind of on the cards to move to the big city for university? Yeah, yeah, I kind of wanted to leave Orkney from about 12 onwards, <laughs> desperately. Because, <laughs> yeah, Fair yeah, so I, I, want, I wanted to get out and, and go, to, go to university and, and, and that, you know, get away. And most young people in Orkney do that. And, you know, a lot, a lot come back at some point, but, there, you know, there's definitely a, a kind of exodus from, from the place, where, you know, around your late teens. So, yeah, I, yeah. I moved down to edinburgh when i was 17 and, and um yeah haven't moved haven't been well i have been back but i haven't lived back up there since then do you think you ever will is that on the cards in the future no no not, not if you speak to my wife <laughs> <laughs> no we had a guy at work who i think was in the shetlands and he said the same like he loved it growing up but then the chance to to kind of move away to, to edinburgh and then wherever else just made sense um yeah. so i mean at uni then you did 
a philosophy degree, right? Yes, yeah, I did my undergrad. Originally, I was I did um, I started off doing a maths and philosophy degree, um, but kind of I think excessive partying got in the way of doing that very much maths because it was a lot harder. So <laughs> I um, did did mostly philosophy, but um, yeah, so it was philosophy is really interesting. I still kind of like doing it a lot and thinking about it. Yeah. Um, you know, particularly stuff around consciousness and uh, thinking about how, you know, how the mind relates to the body and things like that. And, and that, you know, it's definitely still something I'm, that has a lot of relevance to think like artificial intelligence and, and, and you know, those kind of um, topics. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you that, how it's like, because obviously they're not they're not directly linked, but I, I've had a similar chat, um, I can't remember who with, um, but they talked about the fact that, yeah, some of those kind of things related to philosophy can actually help with data. Yeah, definitely. So, like, An- Andy Clark, who was um, my, one of my professors at Edinburgh, is, is a very kind of leading guy on the, on kind of cyborg, cyborg intelligence, and the... the you know the relationship between the mind and the body, and whether whether a, a AI can be conscious, and and so I got really interested in those things, at, at, you know, during my philosophy course, and and it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, I probably don't use it every day, but, but it's you know it's an, it's it's relevant to thinking about how machines can be a bit like humans, I guess. Yeah, is it a little bit, and correct me if I'm massively wrong here, but there's like, I've spoken to someone about this on the podcast, I think, but looking at AI from a, I don't know, kind of like wider perspective of like driverless cars and like driverless vehicles and stuff like that, and then you look at things like the kind of trolley problem, like who, what, what do they focus on? Do, do things like that help, or is yeah, that just, is that just some, interesting? Some, some of those, yeah, I, I don't really, so that's kind of moral philosophy in a way, so that's looking at, you, you know, what, what kind of things we should do, and I think, you know, often... That's kind of should be obvious to people what, what kind of things you should you know don't 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 be a dick to, to other people. But you know, I think the the stuff about how you know how how from simple stuff in your brain, just like bits and bobs of you know mush, which is just matter, you, you know, gives rise to this kind of you know intelligence and consciousness and everything that we experience is just made up of these really simple bits of stuff. And you know, and that idea that then you can get, you can kind of replicate that in a machine by using really simple bits of maths, or you know, relatively simple bits of maths, yeah. but combining them in you know in, in large amounts, you, intelligence kind of emerges from them, even though the stuff isn't intelligent in itself. And that, that yeah, okay. of, those ideas are really, um, yeah, that's that's the kind of what I took from that that side of, of philosophy. Yeah, okay. And you kind of moved into doing a couple of other things in education, I think mainly around kind of economics and uh, a master's in applied stats, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I moved I moved out to London and realised that there weren't many jobs in the philosophy industry. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> thought I should get a, um, a bit of a, uh, a better, more useful qualification. So I'd, I'd, I did economics uh, and found that really interesting, but a lot of the theory I thought was a bit nonsense. But I like the stats and math side of it, so you know that was seemed obviously to me where things were going at that time because there was more and more data being collected. Yeah, and I thought you, you know this is a good thing to get into. So I, I did, um, yeah, applied stats and operations research in Salford, which um, 
think now would be called data science, I think, but, but you know, back then. It was a really good course, a really kind of applied course, looking at how you can use statistics in industry, basically. Um, yeah. You know, lo- loads of that stuff I've used ever since, really. Yeah, and you even managed to pick up an exceptional student award as well, I saw on your LinkedIn. So, uh, yes, yes, my, 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 proud, my, my proudest moment. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to tell it's me downhill, it's been downhill <laughs> since then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, no, good. And it's an interesting background as well, because I think we always say to people, we always start an education on this because nobody's come from the same background and even remotely similar backgrounds in most cases. Um, so I think it's quite interesting to go through it. But then, yeah, you use some of that applied kind of stats and research in the world of the public sector, right, when you first moved to kind of industry. Yeah, so I, I was, before 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 my master's, I, I worked in the public sector, so I worked I worked in a think tank for a while doing um, kind of public policy research um, and then uh, I realized that was kind of mostly just marketing and I didn't really enjoy it. And, but then <laughs> I worked for the, the National Audit Office, which is part yeah. of the civil service that does, um, we're, we're doing climate change policy actually, that's, that's kind of how I got into economics because a lot of the stuff around climate change policy is based on economics. Um, but then I get, that's when I started realizing I needed some expertise about something before I'd be useful in any way. So I went and did the, the master's after that. Yeah, um, okay, I get it. Yeah, so then st- straight after the master's, then I got my first kind of more st- statistical data job working for um, KSS Fuels. Yeah, I was going to say that. So um, you're you're killing me with your job titles because you've too many statistician jobs. That is not a fun <laughs> word to say. No. <laughs> um, what I was going to ask you about that, do you think that basically from 2009 onwards when you worked at KSS and then went on to AstraZeneca as a statistician, would yeah. they now ju- would is that were you just a data scientist? Is that what people would call it yeah. now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cuz the ter- cuz when I first got that job, I think data, data, the term data scientist was invented like in that year when I when I graduated, I think in around 2008. Yeah. Um and so yeah, that that job then is now at the same company. It's called the data scientist now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and then uh, and and at AstraZeneca as well because I was doing basically mach- you know I was doing machine learning stuff on big data sets, and that yeah too would be now would definitely be called data science. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so you've been doing it before it was cool, is what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hipster, hipster data scientist. <laughs> and I suppose from those first couple of roles then at. KSS Fuels and, and AstraZeneca, both relatively large companies as well. I mean, was that a kind of eye opener to be working in industry, applying those techniques that you'd learned at university? Was it was it different to what you thought it um, would be? Yeah, it was. I really, I really enjoyed it. I, I think the bit, the bit that I've always liked about data science is like when you know you can spend a you know a fair amount of mental effort trying to understand some algorithm, and it's just totally abstract until you actually then use it and then you go and apply it to something and it actually works and you're like wow this is actually you know it's actually solved some problem this <laughs> bit of math that I learned and and you know that kind of trans I'm not really into just pure stuff I like the applications and when you yeah. you know when, when you make when you suddenly make that switch from you know something just being something you've read in the textbook to being something that actually works in a new problem that has never been applied to before that's it, it's really yeah that's why I, I really enjoyed that and I think but both of those roles were kind of they were kind of at the crossover of research and applied stuff you, you know so they were you were you weren't just doing standard 
applications of things, you were discovering new stuff. So it, you know, so it was it was more like a postdoc type role, really. But 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 the, you definitely had to do, you had to build something that worked in some way. You know, so KSS were modeling fuel demand and. At AstraZeneca, we were trying to work out who, you know, who responded well to different drugs. Um, and, you know, so there was definitely a practical application of the stuff, but you're also given a fair amount of freedom to try out different techniques and, and um, learn, learn on the job, really. I, I learned loads in those jobs. Nice. And uh, I was, I was going to bring that up, but you kind of covered it um, quite well. But it's quite interesting industries to start off in. Like, it's quite a... I don't know, it's quite, they're quite unique things to be working out and kind of working on, if you like. Yeah, and I think, I guess, because I, I was in, you know, I was based in Manchester, and at, at that time, there weren't really many opportunities to do that, this kind of stuff in Manchester, and it's, cha- it's changed a lot since then. You, you know, KSS was kind of a, um, was formed in the, the dot-com boom in the late 2000s, and was kind of a throwback to that, but there wasn't, there wasn't the kind of, the, there are lots of startups employing data scientists that there are now, yeah. and so that you know there were kind of my options were limited to some extent. But um, yeah, KSS was was you know was a really good, interesting company, and and AstraZeneca was was also it was a great place to work because you know there you've got the kind of resources of a billion dollar company behind you. So if you yeah. You know, everything's much slower, but if you find something, they'll put their resources behind it and you can do big experiments that make a difference. Um, so, yeah, there are, you know, yeah, different uh, different cultures, both of them. One, one very much a kind of scale-up startup, the other a big, slow corporate behemoth, but yeah. both, both interesting. Yeah, I never thought about it that way. We always talk about startups being fast, agile, like they can be quicker than everybody else, but... If you do do something at an AstraZeneca or a large company that do have that kind of weight behind them in terms of financial stuff, but also if you can prove that it's going to make a difference, then yeah, you you'll get you get such a big push from them. Yeah, yeah, and it's much slower, but but once they decide, you know, once they make the decision to do it, it just happens, and you know, like even after I left, there was still stuff that I'd worked on carried on like a sort of oil tanker you know for years afterwards just you know even though I I, I wasn't working on it publications yeah. still kept coming out around the stuff we'd, we'd set in progress and that's cool um yeah it's it's a it's it's an interesting industry because it takes takes like 10 or 15 years to take a drug from design to actually being in um you know in in hospitals and that, you know oh, don't, say, don't say that <laughs> I was just thinking that actually. Unfortunately, it takes ten or fifteen years, and nine out of ten times the drug never works ever. <laughs> <sighs> so, yeah, we're going to be stuck in our houses for a while longer. <laughs> it seems like it. We need to get some. Uh, need to get someone to do something quicker. Uh, yes. No, I, I was actually going to ask you about that, just because of working at AstraZeneca, and also we'll go on to um, at the kind of Christie NHS Foundation Trust yeah. as well. We'll go to that first, actually. So yeah, twenty thirteen, yeah. uh, the the job title of data scientist makes its its debut in your uh, in your CV. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of they, they were originally recruiting for a, a, a senior statistician, 
and I said, I'll take a job if you call it a data scientist. And, and they, <laughs> they went for that. So it was, yeah, it worked out quite well. There's a good tip for uh, getting the title that you want. Just ask for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that's great. And I mean, I think you, uh, we've talked about this before, but you kind of were pretty hands on in building a data science team. One of the first in the NHS, I think. And then. Yeah the work you were doing as well you can explain it a little bit now but it looks like it was another really interesting kind of area to work in yeah yeah no it was it was it was really good and i it um i think it it was it was it was really good in some ways and really difficult in other ways so it was it the christie's a great place to work and you know they're doing really amazing research and you you know you're it's very easy to feel motivated when you're doing things that is having an impact on you know cancer treatment basically yeah and and we were doing, you know, kind of a, a, a lot of interesting work around using the data that the hospital already collects to improve patient care in one way or another. Um, but the kind of flip side of that is that it's really difficult to work in the NHS because it's, it's so under-resourced that, that it's very difficult to ever make a case for anything that is not direct patient care. And, and so it, you know, it, it's it's a slog to get things done, really. Um, yeah. Most of the things that were really, uh, you know, we did a lot of, I guess, research on on, you know, things like predicting who's going to have toxicities from sepsis and things like that. But the things that had the bigger impact were quite simple things, like you know, predicting how many emergency admissions you might have next week, or um, you know, trying to optimize how you, you know, queue for beds and things like that. Whereas the the, the more advanced stuff, I think the, they're not quite ready, for, or at that time they weren't quite ready for it in the, in the NHS because, you know, um, there's still a lot of notes are done on paper in, in hospitals, you, you know, so it's, yeah. they're, they're, quite, they're quite a way behind in terms of being digital organisations, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, but yeah, we did, did some really interesting work with the, Manchester University there so looking at kind of natural language processing on clinical patient records and, and things like that um, uh, yeah yeah no it does sound good and I don't know we, I've, we've had a couple of people talking at my Cabell events or just when we've been speaking kind of during the networking part of it and looking at some of the stuff they are doing kind of with the university spinners and even NHS Digital now as well but it is just it's such a large complex organisation isn't it like mm. trying to get trying to get something yeah. NHS wide is almost impossible never mind on the kind of on the one unit you were working in for example yeah yeah and I think like it's, it's definitely something I want to get back into doing more healthcare stuff because it, yeah. you know I think it's it's definitely going to be really important, you know, the use of AI and machine learning in healthcare. Yeah. But it, it's just, it, it, it's, it's much harder than doing it in industry because, you know, if you get something wrong for a website that sells slippers or something, it doesn't matter too much. But if you get something, you know, if you get something wrong on a cancer patient, it's a bit more serious. So, you know, you yeah. have to, it's a different level of um, evidence that you need to show that things actually work, I think. I think there's also this kind of hesitance, and you've you'll have seen all of the kind of glorified headlines, but like that the AI can predict things quicker than a doctor, and AI is going to replace doctors, and all this kind of varying yeah. levels of bullshit. I think once yeah. we get once we get yeah. past that, and it's what you said, they can help. Then it'll be yeah. more. I don't know. It'll be more welcomed, maybe. Yeah, I think you know it. it AI is a tool like a, you know, like a radiotherapy machine, you know, like an MRI machine or a yeah. scalpel or something like that, that, that if, 
you know, that can do a specific job and you have to build the tool in exactly a way such that it solves a particular problem. Yeah. It's not a, a doctor. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, and it's, 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 you know, may never be, <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, it can be a useful tool. It can be useful, certain, yeah. Cert- yeah. 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 Do you think, uh, given that you've worked in the pharmaceutical industry and the NHS, is there a case that data could help with the whole kind of, strange times we're finding ourselves in just now or is that just are some of those headlines kind of more again looking at kind of maybe too complex rather than focusing on what we need to do i think it it's yeah it definitely will help in some you know in 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 the kind of obvious way that it already has that you know data on how many you know how many cases of 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 covid19 and where those cases are yeah you know form the basis of our understanding of it you know so without without high quality data and you know testing and we can't do anything um you know so that's at a really basic level but then at a more advanced level things like developing you know drugs you know so that some of the the first um vaccines have been built using um you know digitally basically by using the, the dna sequences to create you know potential candidates for vaccines and that's all been done using digital database tools um yeah. so you know i think it's it's definitely a one of the tools amongst many to to get us out of this it's not going to be a miracle but there's definitely a role to play for for data i think in the you know, the whole um contact tracing thing as well yeah. um you know having uh combining the kind of evidence from you know who you've been near but also with the kind of the how how much virus is in your area and what your susceptibility is you can model all of those things to work out where you know to predict where outbreaks might be yeah i think definitely it it will take a place in getting us back to normal uh you know it's not the the the, vaccines are what we really need but but i think like you said not guaranteed though is it yeah, yeah. I think uh, hopefully data will have a role to play. Um, nice. in, in, you know, in the coming months. Have you seen some of the things, mostly on Twitter, of qualified data scientists, so many of whom come to MyCML, kind of resharing and uh, and calling out people on these just terrible graphs using really poor quality data that then everyone starts reading? It must drive people like you crazy. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of um, kind of wannabe epidemiologists out there <laughs> you know with a with a marker pen who are kind of just you know saying it's it's doubled in the last few days it's going to double again and you know and and i think it's it's okay really you know people it's getting people are interested in it and people want to use their skills and people are are basically thinking you know i want to try and solve this problem but yeah you know i have seen people sharing things that have been written by a data scientist with no previous experience or, you, you know, of anything related to this, you know, saying, you know, I don't know, well, it's all going to be over by next week or, you know, things like this, which are just nonsense. And, and um, yeah, so I, 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 don't, I don't know whether it's a bad thing. I think you've just, you know, you've got as a 
user of the internet, you've got to realize that most of the stuff there is nonsense. <laughs> that's <laughs> no, probably that's the, best, of... the best quote of the podcast so far. If you use the internet, <laughs> you have to be prepared for nonsense. Um, no, I did see one yesterday, though, that uh, the graph is hilarious. It was so complex. And he, the person explained what each like part of the graph meant if it went a certain way in certain color. And someone replied to him saying, if you have to explain each part of your graph, it's probably not a very good graph. Yes. Um, <laughs> the, the, reason, the, the reason people use these things are like from to make it visually appealing rather than making it more difficult. Yeah. Um, oh, that was a bit of a segue anyway, but I thought it would be good to get your opinion on it. But then kind of moving back into kind of industry rather than public sector, you, you end up joining Peak. I think it was like 2016, 2017, is that right? Yeah, something like that. Roughly around there. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah, when our yeah. kind of past first crossed um, yes, yeah. when you joined Peak. So I kind of initially as basically their, their kind of senior kind of figurehead data scientist and then yeah. more officially moving into head of data science there. Obviously, uh, we've had well, we've had Richard on, but a lot of people will know who, who Peak are. Um, but you joined them kind of from, what, a team of maybe two or three data scientists, including you? Yeah, I, th- yeah, I think I was the third. No, yeah, there was... Stu, Dom, Chris, and me. So, yeah, I was the fourth data scientist, I think. So I joined, yeah, yeah, around New Year 2017, I think, something like that. And, yeah, there must have been about 10 people in the company-ish, something like that, around around that time. Yeah. Um, And that's when they were still called Peak BI. (laughs) Yeah. Before Richard Richard brought the AI domain. (laughs) That was a good decision. No, I remember when I first met them, it was Peak BI in the... I kind of shared office with about six of them, but the shared office yeah. only really yeah. fitted about two. But yeah, Peak BI. Yeah. And I remember the logic behind it was solid, that it is all around business insight, and it still is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But everyone just has connotations of BI being like SQL and ClickView and um, yeah. Yeah. not what they meant it to be. Um, yeah. So I yeah, the AI the, was a good decision. And I think the idea of the company did go through some, you know, changes it start it started off more around that bi building dashboards and things for people and and partly as a, as a response to the demand from customers and and where we had success it moved into more the kind of advanced analytics and and ai type stuff and and yeah you know that that just kind of took off and everyone you know everyone wanted that and we started having success with that and that's um that's where you know where where it ended up and where where it still is. Yeah, um, timely speaking to you this week as well because they've just announced their, their funding as well. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. So they'll be they're in the news. But yeah, as I said, I mean, joining with maybe three, four other people, ten people in the company. Mm. What was what was it like going from? I suppose some of the places you had been and kind of learning all the way through, and you set up that team at the NHS. What was it like going through that kind of real explosion of a company from kind of maybe like an idea into a fully fledged? AI company um yeah it was great it was really good fun actually because it was kind of it was very fast you you know you kind of went from having an idea to saying right let's do this and the next day it would happen and then the day after you know there'd be a bunch of people there you've hired to do it and then it's kind of you know it was and then you know you know just a few months later you'd have you know four times as many customers and moving into a bigger office and you know it's it was yeah it's a really exciting thing to do to go from a really small startup that's doubling in size every few months kind of thing and um yeah it was great um i I really enjoyed it and yeah working with really smart people and you you know i think it was a bit terrifying at times because you're like oh no i'm in 
you know, I've actually got to decide what we're going to do next with this. I, I don't know how to, you know, run a team of 25 data scientists and how we should organize that and, you know, how we can work with all these customers. But you just kind of went along with it and, and um, you know, just going, I, I really enjoyed going to do like sales stuff, going and meeting customers and understanding what their businesses are and, um, you know, trying to work out where, AI stuff could, you know, solve business problems, but do it in a repeatable way. So you're not just starting from scratch every time. Yeah. And I think that that's that was one of the biggest challenges, really, is trying to work out. You know, we've we've solved this for one company. Can we do it again for another? And often, often you can't. I don't think that's fully a solved problem because usually, usually AI is like you're building a special key here for a door that only fits in that door to solve a company's problem and then when you try and you know you can't use use that key for another company's problems generally it's quite a often the things you build are quite bespoke and i, I yeah. think that's um yeah that was a, a an interesting discovery i guess yeah and we'll get on to what you're doing now but i bet some of that would have kind of stood you in good stead doing those conversations with peak and understanding customers a bit more because obviously that's now quite a big part of your role just kind of doing what you are doing yeah yeah you know definitely um learned a lot you know by going along with um rich and martin at peak to you yeah. know to meet meeting all these customers and just seeing you know how you i guess how you translate the, the math stuff into business stuff you know, so you're not talking about, you know, algorithms, you're talking about revenue and, 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 and you know, those, that, that's, that switch between the maths and the business and back to the maths and back to the business side of things was, yeah, was a really useful skill, you know, and now I've got to do all my own sales and marketing and all that stuff, you know, it's, it's, um, it was useful to, to learn that there. Yeah, no, I bet. Um, and you mentioned having a big team, so there was obviously lots of hiring and lots of new customers as well. Was it yeah. was it a challenge, kind of challenge at times, to find the the best people that you wanted for the team, marrying up with kind of projects and looking after people's personal development? Was was that quite a was that one of the harder tasks at such a fast growing company? Yeah, yeah. Well, like you know, recruitment was probably a third of my time was spent on recruitment, even with the excellent help that we had from, <laughs> from you guys. Um, what you, know, <laughs> it, you know, I probably, I probably interviewed 150 data scientists or something like that. And, and what, you know, in something like that going yeah. through and, and you, I guess you have to get, it's really important, you know, because you, that's 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 everything that's all you know that's all you've got in a company really is a bunch of people in a room doing what you've asked them to do <laughs> if you don't get the good ones you, you know you don't have a company really um yeah and yeah I, that it it it's, takes up a, a, a lot of time um i think you get better at it and you you, you know you, you start to realize you can filter out the you know the charlatans quite quickly and i think you know Having a good recruiter, um, you know, without being, you know, trying to plug you too much, does make a massive difference. Because after, you know, after a while, all the CVs that we were getting sent were good people, you know, because you'd yeah. kind of worked out what the so that initial sift was already done. 
Yeah. Um, it's more about kind of how they perform and kind of how they sell themselves rather than yeah. wondering if they could do the job. Yeah, yeah, wondering whether they've, you know, said they can do something they can't on their CV yeah. and those kind of things. But yeah, trying to, all of those people, management, trying to, you know, get make sure people are happy, make sure people are developing. It, you know, they take up a, yeah, a, lot, a lot of time and, and it, yeah. it, it eventually became, you know, a, a different job than, than it was at the beginning. It, it, you know, it wasn't really a, you know, I wasn't spending much time coding or, you know, or, or doing maths or anything. Yeah. It's more, it's more like coaching other people saying, have you tried this technique or, um, you know, go and go and read this paper and, you know, or try changing this little bit of code. And, you know, that's, that's, that's fun as well, because you just, you know, you're getting involved with lots of different projects, but it's a bit different because you're never, you're never sitting down and getting in that kind of zone of concentration that I quite like, you know, where you're kind of really getting deep into a problem. It's more like the problem is the whole company then, <laughs> you know, that's, you're just yeah. in it constantly of trying to mold this whole company. And that, that's, that's kind of a, yeah, it's a different, it's a different thing. Um, yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there about uh, like when you're hiring, it's, it is so important because that is all the company really is. And I think it may be fair to say at some of the previous companies you worked at, or, or even if you just look at, I don't know, some of the massive organizations, you can almost get away with hiring a couple of like semi, yeah. like average to poor data scientists and maybe got a little bit of experience, maybe understand some of the basics. But I suppose when you're working at a yeah. smaller company growing at such scale, like there's no real room for passengers. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, and particularly like at, at peak where where data science was so central to what the company did. Yeah. You, you know, yeah, everyone had to be, you know, yeah, pulling in the same direction. You know, after a while, you could hire more less experienced people, but they still had to be sharp. You know, yeah. and I think being, you, you still have to build that kind of. Um, you know, a structure that people can progress through in some way. So you can hire people straight out of a master's because there's lots of them available, but you cannot, you know, and you can also have a few more experienced people who can supervise them and having that kind of those levels of, of expertise is really useful to building a sort of culture because the, the culture is where the, the knowledge lives really, you, you know, the, yeah. the, you, you know, if you're like this guy, you know, go and speak to that guy over there about optimizing your SQL or go and speak to her about doing your forecasting or, you know, those, those kind of, um, yeah, having knowledge and also having exchange of knowledge is really key to having a good team. Cause all, you know, everyone who works as a data scientist is generally really interested in learning and development and teaching themselves new stuff. And yeah. you've got to, you really have to allow that for people to be happy and to, and also to have a well-functioning team. And I think make, getting that balance between the, the customer work and also the development and interesting stuff is, is sort of really important to having a good team, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and just lastly on that then, did you, did you find it, I suppose, easier or maybe even harder because kind of around about that time when you were starting to build that team, the, the kind of it was almost like that kind of first real explosion of data science in Manchester. Like there was a lot of companies hiring. There was a lot of people coming out of those master's courses, like you said, even people who had maybe been like, you know, a PhD in physics or a PhD in something else had realized that yeah. there was maybe an application as a data scientist in industry. Did, did that make yeah. it quite yeah. tough to cut through the noise or? Uh, no, I, I think... 
it it worked really well at peak because because we were a relatively large data science team yeah. and we were a company that focused on data science and AI stuff it was quite easy to attract people because you could it was obvious they were going to learn there and so you get so you know you kind of had the people coming straight out of a master's it's a really attractive place to come where there's you know 10 really experienced data scientists there who you can work with and, and learn from whereas a lot of companies where there's maybe one or two data scientists within you know say a really big company it's it, it you can kind of end up getting left on your own and that you know that's kind of a risk for a newly qualified person because you won't end up achieving anything yeah. so i think you know that they're it, it was an attractive place to come, and, and it still is. Um, you know, it became more difficult in terms of getting experienced people, I think, because just the, there's so few of them. And, and, you know, financially, you have to pay them a fair bit to, to, to get them to come. Yeah. I, I think that that's harder. But the, the, yeah, having a big team makes it really, makes it really attractive, I think. Yeah, I think that was one of the things I learned quite quickly back in like 2016-ish that most teams maybe had, for example, if you're a software development team, there's maybe 20 of you as standard in a lot of companies, but yeah. most data science teams seemed to be one or two. Um, yes. Normally yeah. a very senior person with maybe more of a kind of data analyst underneath them to do some of the initial work. And then they didn't really need much more than that, depending on what the company did, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was always a good sell that there was more of yeah. the people there. Yeah, and I think they're all, all, it's also hard because they're nearly always new teams, and so that you know because they haven't been around for ages, and so they don't often have clearly defined goals or, or tasks, and so you, you you see a lot of people just thinking, oh, we we need a data science team, and they don't necessarily know what a data science team can do or what AI can do for the business. Yeah, and and I think that's that's a, a challenge, it, you know, for for companies building building new teams is, is yeah. understanding what sort you know what sorts of things it can do and what it can't do which is almost as, as important well that's uh you, i couldn't have done a better segue myself into what you're doing now then uh so it's been just over a year i, I worked out earlier which is yeah. crazy yeah uh but you set up your own kind of consultancy uh to offer kind of what you just did in a lot of ways helping people understand uh what they can do with data and obviously you also have the skills to do it um yeah. so uh the company is called autumn is that right yeah what um i suppose what have you found in the first year then of running your own business like what what have you enjoyed found tough um and i suppose learned really yeah um it's been really good um you, you know i think it was it was a bit of a risk and a bit of a challenge going out on my own, but I think you know I think I knew that I had something to offer companies, and I, you know from from working at Peak, I, I saw quite a lot that companies, particularly say smaller smaller companies or or tech focused companies, didn't want to outsource everything. You know they wanted to have their own AI capabilities or data science capabilities, but they didn't. Um, really know how to achieve that and 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 so i think the the you know the idea behind ortom i guess is to to help companies to to set that up themselves so so to you know if they if a company wants some kind of intelligence in their product that they're building or or you know to use their data more effectively to solve some problem i'll kind of 
help them to do that, but also help them to be able to do it on their own once I've gone. So, you know, so I tend to work initially on specific projects, you know, maybe, maybe solving a specific problem, but also on trying to work out where, where AI can be used. So, you know, I guess on, you call that strategy to some extent, you, you know, working out, well, you've got these five problems within your business. Three of them can be solved by AI. Two of them are, you know, governance issues or, or you know, or organizational issues that aren't anything to do with AI. Yeah. Um, and here's how you solve those those three ones, I guess. Um, it, you know, I, I think it's been, yeah, it's been interesting to 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 run my own business. That you know, I have to my yeah, a fair amount of my time isn't doing data science, but also a, a very large part part of it is you know just doing doing coding again, which I really like. Yeah. You know, that's really the thing that I I wanted to get back to doing is actually building algorithms, building, you know, intelligent products and um, working with businesses to put them into their businesses. So, you know, um, that's a bit of a rambling answer. <laughs> no, it's fine. But, but yeah, but yeah it's been, you know, it's been, it's been a year and I've worked on, worked with uh, four, four main projects, four, yeah, four companies and, and they've, yeah, they've all been really really interesting and and i think i've you know i've helped them a lot in terms of actually getting ai that actually works you know that, that yeah. actually solves this the thing that they're after um and that's yeah. yeah that's been fun it's quite a lot of your job still and i imagine it was like this in other places as well but it's quite a lot of your job telling people rather than kind of like a lot of people might say to you what can you do with what, what can you do with AI to make us more money or whatever? Like, is a lot of your job kind of stepping back to the start and trying to work out where they can apply kind of certain techniques rather than just going straight in with an all singing, all dancing solution that, that maybe isn't that useful? Yeah, yeah. A lot of it is kind of, is is stepping back and looking at how, looking at what their actual business problem is, you know, trying to work out what, what you know, what, what are you trying to achieve and what, what what data do you have and is that data going to be helpful to you in, in you know achieving the things you're trying to achieve and, and you know only when you've done quite a lot of that so you really need to understand the, pretty much every bit of the business and then how the data reflects the business before you start doing any building of algorithms and I think you can you can get a bit carried away with with just going straight to the AI solution instead of you know stepping back and doing the the, the business understanding bit yeah. and, and you know working out because often if you if you sort of step back a bit you can work out that the prob the, the AI problem is much simpler than you thought if you just kind of reframe it a little bit and so sometimes you can get away with really simple solutions rather than going straight for the you know massive neural network that you've just read about in a you know the the newspaper or, or whatever wherever you read about your neural networks i don't think they're on the front page of the, the daily mail or anything but <laughs> no, uh, no. probably more specific publications yeah um yeah. is there also a slight frustration for people like obviously you understand these are kind of really complex like you said neural networks all these algorithms that can do really cool things um yeah. 
is there a slight frustration when you realise that it is a relatively simple solution, or is that kind of the beauty of it sometimes as well? Is that it can't you can make big impact with really simple things? I, yeah, I, I I like that. You, you know, if if you can if you can get away with doing something really simple that solves the problem really well, then you you know that's that's great. <laughs> I think sometimes people people want it to be complex because then they can tell their investors that they're powered by AI. And, you know, they don't want to tell their investors that they're powered by, I don't know, adding a couple of numbers together, for instance, or, you know, something like that. But, but yeah, really powered well, by maths doesn't, doesn't sell the... Yeah, uh, yeah powered the by simple maths. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I, I... And you do... There is a certain amount of... of AI is very good at marketing <laughs> itself. And, I th- you know, yeah. I think you shouldn't... Um, underestimate how important that is so i remember at astrazeneca once some you know somebody said oh couldn't we just do this using simple you know some you know simple t-test or something and they, they said to me yeah but that's not as sexy is it they're not gonna they're not gonna go for that in the you know upstairs <laughs> and, and, it's crazy, and it's true. It? You, you know there is there is a certain amount of um sales in in everywhere you, you know within an organization you have to sell ideas to people and get them on board. And, and if stuff sounds like it's, you know, really futuristic, <laughs> then people go for it. And, and, but you have to temper that with actually solving the problem. And, and yeah. you know, that's, that's, the, that's the tricky bit. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's been fun working with loads of different companies as well and kind of having, having your input onto those what uh, what are the kind of plans for let's pretend that we're not in the middle of a global pandemic what are the yeah. plans for for the kind of company moving forward do you want it to be kind of how it is and helping companies and and setting them up for a kind of ai success um or do you think there's is there a an argument to be made to kind of build out a team as well i think i'm quite happy it just being me because <laughs> i think i think as it as soon as it becomes a a bigger company you're not running a, you're not doing ai anymore you, you, you're running a company and you yeah. know you can't you can't take a month off if you feel like it and, you know there, there are you, you know and i think that i think what i'd like to do is continue you know me just doing the consultancy stuff for for firms but possibly with a kind of network of associates that i might work with so you know people that i trust and i've worked with repeatedly and yeah um, you know, bidding for larger jobs together and those sorts of things. But I think the idea of it being a large or even a medium-sized firm uh, doesn't really appeal to me just now because I think that it just adds a whole bunch of overheads to the thing that that that, that I you know I, I like I like coding. I don't necessarily like sitting in meetings, <laughs> and with a company comes sitting in meetings. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're bang on. It's actually it's quite nice to hear as well because I think a lot of people maybe get, and you actually mentioned this earlier, kind of indirectly, but a lot of people get almost like obsessed with being a data scientist, a senior data scientist, a head of data science, a, yeah. chief, a chief data officer, and then running their own yeah. company or whatever it might be. Yeah, but yeah. I've spoken to a bunch of people. Um, who've had aspirations of the head of data science role and then they get there and realize that yeah so it's a hell of a lot of meetings it's a lot of strategy it's a lot of helping other people and that's great yeah um but there's not a whole lot of doing um and i think like you said data scientists are kind of inquisitive by nature so you you'll always have that desire to kind of do it yeah yeah definitely and i think 
It's. I think it's difficult because I think you know people are definitely drawn to the kind of promotion and success, and and yeah. it, it there's often it's more difficult to have a path to success where you're still doing technical stuff. I yeah. think I think Google do this quite well of having you know a, a kind of career progression where you're still an engineer. You don't you don't become a manager. You you know you just become a like a distinguished engineer eventually, yeah. and you're still coding all day. Uh, you, you know, but you're and helping other people, and uh, but you're not you're not necessarily you don't become a a manager. I don't, you, you know, I, I, and you know, management is is good, and and it when it's done well, it's it's really transformative. It's the you know, it's the really key thing to having a business. But it's yeah, it's not necessarily the same skill as being able to do maths. Um. I think, but I think you can apply that to wider business as well. I mean, it's the same in recruitment, where you can be a very, very good recruitment consultant, and your path's almost always senior team lead, manager, owner of your own agency. That's a kind of very typical recruitment yes. career. Yes. There's, yes. there's not, not many people would sit and say that they're happy just to be a very good recruitment consultant forever, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's the same as, and again, being a developer, like you don't have to become the head of development. Um, yeah. you can just be a very, very good software developer. Yeah, I think potentially the kind of partnership model. So you, you know, p- places like um, Arup um, or Boeing, or you know, these kind of places where par- partnerships of engineers ran, set up and ran these companies, um, is quite an attractive business model. In that you, you know, yeah. you're just a, you're a loosely associated group of professionals doing, you, you know, who are. Have some back office support, basically. You know, yeah. I think that 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 would interest me. Um, yeah. So yeah, if, if any listeners want to form a data science cooperative of some sort, get in touch. I'm yeah. sure there'll be. I'm sure there'll be loads. We kind of touched on the next one a little bit, but you might have a, a kind of slightly uh, maybe an addition to it. But one of the questions I've been asking recently is kind of, especially people like you, um, is uh, what do you think the best way or, or the kind of top things you might have learned to, to building a very very high performing team like you have done in the past not just at peak but at the nhs as well yeah recruitment is really important obviously you, you know just get just getting, good recruitment yeah 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 but I, I think also giving giving people space to develop and 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 then you know allowing allowing people to follow their kind of uh Almost side projects, but you know, allow allow people freedom to do interesting stuff. You know, I think at, at, at peak, some of the best work came from people who just came came along, joined the company, maybe didn't have loads to do when they first arrived, and they just did something interesting on the side. And yeah. often those those little projects turned out to be really valuable things. And and so, you know, letting smart, inquisitive people have a little bit of freedom. Um, and and coaching them and supporting them through that is is really important. If you try and you know say these are the tickets you've got to log off this week to a bunch of smart people, they'll just get fed up and try and work your work their way around it. But if you say you know we've got these broad objectives, go and you know muck around with these this data set, they'll come up with amazing stuff. <laughs> and and yeah. you know I think it's it's hiring smart people and giving them freedom is the, the key. Yeah, okay. Um, it was interesting what you mentioned earlier. There was um, a talk I went to at um, Turing Fest in Edinburgh last year that mentioned that like recruitment has to be at the forefront of like the C-suite, if you like. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned, obviously, as a head of data science, a third of your time was probably taken up with the recruitment. 
it's probably one of the reasons it worked so well at, at a kind of real booming time when you were there that the whole company from kind of like directors to heads of were all kind of pulling in the same direction of recruitment i think yeah, if you are definitely. trying to build a team that helps yeah and i think it, it being in a it's easier when you're in a new organization and everyone's just joined and everyone's still positive. You don't, you don't have that sort of baggage associated. Like in the NHS, you're, you know, you're dealing with an organization that's been there for 50 years or, you know, longer. And there's so many historical things that you're building on top of. It's really difficult. And, and, you know, those kind of organizations still have to be there, but it's much easier to do it from scratch. I I think. Well, you can have more of an influence as well if you're helping set that. Uh, Last two questions. You might not want to answer this one. Do you have any top tips for people who want to kind of branch out on their own as a a data scientist? Um, I don't know. Get some customers and do it. (laughs) You know, I think that there's, yeah, I think that's it. There's there's plenty of opportunities out there for it. Um, You know, I think it's... Yeah, just take the plunge, I think. Set up a company and, and, and do it. Just, I think, just crack on. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I think you need you need to understand how to speak business speak rather than data science speak. You know, yeah. don't don't try and don't try and sell yourself as a Python expert, sell yourself as a business AI expert or something like yeah. that. You know, that I, think I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting one as well because when you first spoke to me about this a year or so ago, it was one of those where, and it still seems like this to, to a certain extent, a lot of the contracts you see for like a contract data scientist, like what would typically be a contractor in the IT world, is maybe yeah. going to work for, uh, I can't even think of a company off the top of my head, which is terrible, but like a large organization to come either supplement their data science team or replace, yeah. a, consult, replace a consultancy or just start something for them and then leave. It's quite big yeah. organizations. I think the nice yeah. niche that you found is kind of helping smaller to medium-sized businesses where you're dealing directly with the kind of CEO or whatever and yeah, having, having kind of a tangible impact rather than just coming in to build X model and then pissing off. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think being, being there to help build a data science capability so you know being there at the start working with someone who's yeah some somebody in the c level who's got decision making capabilities is, is yeah it's really it's really good and it, they're not yeah they're not the typical big organizations who will have a you know 10 contractors sitting in the corner doing something <laughs> you know it's, yeah. it's it's smaller and but you can you can have an impact really quickly and i, I, yeah. I like that yeah, no, that sounds good. And last question about data science. Is there anything that still kind of bugs you in terms of kind of like myths or like misconceptions when you are selling your service or just explaining to people what you do? Um, I think that the the biggest thing is is, tra- is, is making sure people realize it's not magic. <laughs> you, you know, that it's not, uh, you know, that you're not going to just solve all of their problems. Uh, you know, you've got uh, you can solve a specific little problem if you work really hard at it. You, you never, you know, we're we're so far away from any kind of general intelligence, you, you know that that. But but I think the there's a misconception. There's a bit of a disconnect between the marketing of AI and the reality. Is and and the reality is that it's it's a really good point solution to to a specific a really specific problem it's not a general yeah. it's not a general cure-all you know you're not like oh well let's let's replace 
are bored with an AI or something like that. Yeah. It's not, you know, we're not, we're not there. Yeah, you can't just yeah. you can't plug something in. Um, it's yeah. actually still quite a manual process, and, yeah. and yeah, kind exactly. of, for lack of a better word. Uh, and I was just supposed to finish up then, just because it's always fun to talk about. On the side, you're also a stand-up comic. Is that true? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I I have done a stand-up comedy show. Is that is that qualifies oh, anyway, that, the, the balls to do that. I mean, I know you've spoken yeah. at loads of events. You've done loads. Of, I'm sure you've done hundreds of university presentations. You've done hundreds of interviews. Yeah. Like you've had to stand up in front of boards, like all that. <laughs> Stand, standing on a stage with a mic. Like that's impressive. Yeah, it was it was quite terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> but I I was I was I was really terrified until uh, until I did it in front of a trial audience and everyone laughed and then I was ah oh, this is fine. <laughs> you know, it's, and then it was just really good fun. Um, yeah, it was because it was at the Bright Club, which is a kind of a specialist a specialist scientific stand up comedy night. Um, so it, talking, it was, talking about niche, that's about as niche as it gets. Yeah, yeah. and it, specifically about data science that night was. But it was, yeah. it was, it, it was great. We sold out the Stan Comedy Club in Edinburgh. And, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, and it was, you know, there was some really good acts at it. It was really, really fun actually. Yeah, no good. I, I, is there? Uh, will there be more in the pipeline? Do you think? Or now that you've yeah, done maybe, it, you can maybe, take it off. Maybe. I think I'd have to find the right kind of night again for. It. I don't think I'd just go and do a. You know, an open mic down my local pub. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, but I think if 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 the opportunity came, I'd I'd definitely do it again, and I'd recommend it. It's really really good experience for public speaking and, and improving. You know, thinking about how you structure. You know, how you how you talk to to an audience. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it was great. I'd, I'd definitely do it again. Nice, uh, and I think you still find it on uh, on YouTube or on your LinkedIn. Yeah. So yeah, anyone wants yeah. to check it out. Um, <laughs> all right, well, no, thanks for coming on. It was great to finally get it done. I know we've spoken about it for ages. Yeah, um, it was good to chat through everything and hear kind of your thoughts on some of the, I don't know, some of the things that I think people are finding interesting from this about building teams and just kind of your background. So uh, yeah. no, I really appreciate it. Yeah, cheers, Liam. Thank you. So that was really good. I thought anyway. Always good speaking to Tom, very easy to talk to, very funny guy. He did speak at a ManCamel event of ours about why data scientists are like archaeologists, um, which was very, very good. And hopefully he can do that one again. Uh, but yeah, he's just an all-round great guy. So yeah, really happy to have him on. Um, thank you for listening. Um, and obviously thanks again to Cathcart for making it all possible. And yeah, I'll see you again soon. Cheers. <laughs>